Welcome to the Wedge Pod. I'm your host today, Alex Buckner, talking all things wedge play. And thank you for your patience. It's been a while, hasn't it? Um, thank you for everyone that's messaging, saying how much they love the podcast. When is the next guest going to be? And I'm sorry it's taken this long. Uh, this year has been pretty busy. Uh, a few priorities have taken place. Uh, Organising a wedding uh, takes up a bit of time getting these players prepped for you know the tours um at the beginning of the year until it gets into the full swing of things does take a bit of time and uh had an amazing experience teaching at the masters a couple of weeks back going to weddings wedding seasons also come up as well as organizing my own going to others i was at trump turnbury the other week and it is just amazing there if you haven't already been but if you have you know exactly what i'm on about it was an amazing experience and uh, now I'm back and a bit on my feet and got some got some time on my hands. Um, I'm back to giving you some amazing Q&As with some of the best minds in golf to help your golf game or your coaching career. So today is no different. We've got Hugh Maron and Hugh is a great friend of mine and we actually work at the same facility uh, now. It was a funny story, but over the COVID period, um, the current location that I was at wasn't quite working out. And he said, well, how about you try, you know, you teach here until you can find somewhere else. Anyway, so I did. Nowhere else really came up. And he said, well, why don't you just come here full time? It's been working really nicely. And I've been there ever since, really. And so we have an amazing friendship and relationship. And I thought, well, no better guess. He has an amazing uh, career. And he's also just coming to the end of his uh, tour career. And he has basically made a complete new chapter in his life turned a blank slate and we cover this in this podcast because i think he's doing amazing things and it's going to change uh not only how the game is coached but hopefully as a result how well we play so i won't give any more secrets but this is humor talking a little bit about his career regarding short game on tour as well as in the new chapter uh, he is solely concentrating on and is going to make a big difference in the golfing world. Hugh Mar, thank you very much for coming on to the podcast today. How are you feeling today? Yeah, all good. Thank you. Uh, back at Rygate Hill after after a bit of time off? Back at Rygate Hill after time and forced time off through COVID. So I'm uh, in here looking at the sun, which is uh, better than lying in bed. Well, it's a rarity that isn't it as well so uh <laughs> yeah, very true <laughs> awesome so i'll get straight into it and i'm going to start off with a bit of a selfish question because um for the people that yeah. don't know listening to this podcast me and hugh work at the same facility and have had a long standing relationship um and to be honest he's been helping me more than uh let's be honest i'm helping him but I've always uh, wondered this question. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I've, I've never known the answer to this question because I've always known you as someone that teaches a lot of tour players, does a lot of full swing work. And then I look at your yep. all your accreditations um, for all the events that you've been to, and it says short game specialist. So yep. how did you fall into that role and what made you fall in love with it? I, I was always way more interested in short game the long game in my own game when I was playing competitively and playing seriously. Um, and I always found the, pra- the the process of practicing and becoming better at it way more stimulating than the, the equivalent for long game. 
Um, and anyone that's played golf with me knows that I need a decent short game the way I had it these days. So it was, uh, <laughs> I guess part of it was, was, was through circumstance as well. But I, th- I think the big thing for me was I always found the, the, the problem solving element of short game practice way more interesting. Uh, the fact that literally no shot is, is the same as any other shot, uh, that the infinite variable and just the, uh, I, I guess it, it was, it was driven by being able to make one club do so many different things. And the, I, I guess the, the process never got boring with me. It never felt like I'd completed it, if you like. Whereas long game wise, if you just got hit in a half decent, you were then in a position to, you had the tools to score. Um, and I guess I felt I hit a little bit of a wall with long game practice, whereas short game practice, it, it never ever felt boring. It never felt anything that, it even to this day, I don't feel it's like anything that I'm, I can become too skillful or too have too many shots or too many too many problems to solve, and I, I guess that just appealed to my mindset. Yeah, and that's what um, got you excited to to maybe go into it a little yeah. bit more. And I think that it was also something that I could probably become expert at on my own, rather than having a coach there to help me with it. And I never yeah. really, I mean, my, my generation of golfers didn't really have coaches. We were just, we, we took golf lessons. That was it. Um, and I, I, yeah, I guess, I mean, I was just always fascinated by it. Even to this day, I find it way more stimulating than long game in terms of my own game. So there's got to be a story within this because uh, someone has got to have gone at some point, unless this was done by your own design and said, Hugh, I want you to have a look at my short game. Uh, how did all of a sudden this um, brand as such of a short game specialist happen on tour? Was that by design or was that by accident? No idea. Uh, uh, genuinely no idea. Um, I, I think one of the things that uh, there was definitely a market for it. There was definitely a demand for it. Because even to this day, there's very few sort of really competent short game coaches out there. Um, guys like Graham Walker's obviously been exceptional i think if you probably go back to stan utley would be the first guy that um specialized exclusively in short game um then obviously mark Rowe came along but there really wasn't anyone that that had any speciality in it or any real expertise in it and i guess i saw a little bit of a gap but and ultimately as i, as I help more and more players improve their short game and your kind of reputation grows from there right yeah, um, but it was never something that I set out to achieve. It was it was never something that that was sort of a conscious. Oh, there we go. There's there's a need for this. There's a market for it. It, it just kind of I fell upon it. Yeah, because I thought that might be the case, especially the fact that I know um, you're always focused on just being the best that you possibly can be, and it would lead yeah. into whatever that might be. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and the opportunity the opportunity arose. So I was able to yeah I was able to effectively. I guess capitalize on it. Uh, that's awesome, and um, because that sort of leads into the next question quite nicely. Because as much as people come for short game lessons, and it's always sort of the same thing that we tend to try and get away from um, as the amateur market comes in, because they always come in and go right. Well, I just need to be able to hit a golf ball, and you know they're yeah. functional lessons. I like to call them. Whereas 
you know, I would say the fact that we coach a lot more than, than teach. So when it comes to then dealing with tour players on tour, uh, yeah, more often than not, you're dealing with functional af- actions. I mean, sometimes that yep. doesn't happen, but more often than not. So, and they're also about to go out and perform. So on a Monday, yep. Tuesday, Wednesday, that's got to be very different compared to someone coming in and going, can you teach me how to strike it? Can you give an insight what that might be? Yeah, I mean, it's there's a number of answers to that. I mean, number one, I think short game coaching for amateur, for club players, is probably more impactful because, as you point out, actually just getting the club on the ball and having a functional shot that you can get on the green within 10 feet, within five feet, is it's probably going to be a bigger win for the majority of amateur golfers than it would be for professional golfers. Having said that, there are there have historically been and there will always be professional players who really struggle with that part of their game. Um, and whether that's whether that's been born of pure concept from them or whether that, that some people just don't have a natural sort of instinct for for short game. Um, but by and large, I am dealing with people that are uh, that are able to at least put the club on the ball. Now, the challenge on tour is that every single week, by and large, you're playing with you're playing different golf courses, different conditions, different grasses, different um, greens. There's there's a number of different challenges that you have. I mean, I think my job is to is to help them adapt to that as much as possible, um, and get away from get effectively giving a mechanical golf lesson. Now, there will be instances in there that, that certain shots where you're playing from deeper off to very firm greens and require elevation. Um, there could be instances in there that you do need to work on technique. You do need to work on giving them a technique to be able to play certain shots. But by and large, you spend your week preparing them to hit, preparing them to play the shots they need that week. And that would look like if the, if the short game facility is decent, which it ought it isn't always if the short game facility is decent then you'll do a lot of work around there but I like to be able to get out on the golf course and start to recreate flag positions recreate desired misses and and get the player properly preparing to perform now how often do you see that is it just on tour or um or do you think everyone should be doing this regarding their maybe their home golf club Maybe it's a, an open that they're trying to go to and have a practice round. Should, should all people be doing this? Or yeah, I think so. A... I, mean, I mean, one of the things going back to your initial question, one of the things that fascinates me about short game is the fact that everything's different and you can never become too skillful. Um, it is also, and we, we've talked about this repeatedly, that it, there is infinite variable in terms of what you will be faced from a short game perspective, and to prepare for infinite variable. I just hitting the same shot made no sense to me whatsoever. And even when I go back to when I was in the sort of teens and, and, and I had all day, every day to practice, I would still very, very rarely hit the same shot time and time again. And yeah. it, it, if you're looking to really upskill a player, so my definition of skill is being able to get the, the very most out of the technique you've got, being able to adapt the technique you've got to, to, those infinite challenges if if you accept that or if you understand that, that, that the short game challenge is very much about variable managing variable reading each and every situation on its own merits then you've got to practice in that 
matter. Yeah. And that's it's something that not even even tour players you'll see them with a basket of balls just hitting the same chip shot time and time and time again. Yeah, normally from the same spot, from the same posture. You know, if that <laughs> just like, with a yeah. with a per- yeah with a perfect lie, and <laughs> it's it's just not real world. No, no. I mean, how many people do you know generally don't practice in different postures? Even though when you're on a different slope, trying to fly the ball a different certain way, you are effectively in a different posture, right? Yeah, but, but then they'll, they'll stand to it in the same posture, the the one posture that they've always practiced. And then wonder why they can't put the club in the ball. And actually, yeah. it's not because they they have a poor technique or a poor golf swing for that shot, but they just don't understand how to orientate themselves around the slope relative to the shot they want to hit. Because that happens all the time, right? So um, let's say someone comes to you for a lesson, you get them, let's say, called functional, and they're hitting decent shots. Go and play around a golf, and they hit the first chip shot really, really poorly. And their feedback loop is the technique's gone. I need to go back and get a lesson. When the reality was they're Correct. on the downside trying to do a very different shot compared to what they were taught. So yeah. for the you know, a lot of teaching pros are listening to this. Um, what would the advice be to get out of that feedback loop and create a, maybe a, a better measure on the lesson or or the coaching? Well, I mean, ultimately in terms of the coaching itself. And the practice, there needs to be, of course, there needs to be a, a reasonable amount of time dedicated to, to, to building a functional technique that can apply the, the club properly to ball and ground. But that is probably a smaller percentage in terms of importance than it is in the long game. That if you can put the club in the ball and produce a consistently appropriate ball flight, then you can get it around most golf courses. But because the challenge doesn't change significantly. Whereas yeah, as yeah, soon as you get variables. to short game, correct. As soon as you get to short game, the, the the basic technique or the fundamental technique may not be appropriate for a vast for the vast majority of shots you're faced with. And I think, I mean, maybe going a little off topic here, but I, I do think that it's one of these areas in the game where the coach being an expert helps. Now, am I, am I ever going to be able to stand up and hit it like Torben Olsen or Paul Casey? No. Um, can, can, I, can I give him a decent run for the money in a chipping competition? Yes. But I, I think when it comes to actually coaching it, that the, the value of being an expert yourself is that you understand how to read lies. You understand yeah. how to read circumstances and, and understand how to read shots. And the really good short game coaches are able to pass that on to the players. Uh, not just the not just the the physical process, that problem solving process I talk about, but also being able to physically coach how to read lies and read circumstance, because that is where you will turn an okay chipper into a very good chipper. You're not, not going to turn an okay chipper into a very good chipper just by continually working on technique. Completely agree. Completely agree. And effectively, you're making them good in one circumstance, and yeah, often, which which they may never be often, faced with. Yeah, often praying for that one circumstance as a result. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, no, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. That leads on quite nicely to communication. So, yep, we talk about communication a lot. We talk about the difference between teaching and coaching a hell of a lot. Um, so, why is it so important to you to give such good communication? And that can be very different. So. 
I'd like you to try and give two examples of where communication has been very different, but yet also very successful. And the reason why, let's say, the coaching or teaching was successful was because of the communication. Well, I mean, I think at the end of the day, any successful golf coaching, any coaching process that's successful, i.e. the player or the subject improves, there has to be great communication happening to achieve that, right? Mm. That can't, that, that's not going to happen by accident. And I think a lot of the, I mean, the, the, the coach learning and the coach education paradigm now is very much about gaining knowledge. And for me, the golden coaching is the ability to turn what knowledge you have into something that, that works for each and every player. And you could end up with having coaching the same thing to a dozen players, but you're doing it in a dozen different ways. And actually, if you're not adapting and having to use multiple tools with multiple players, you're probably not communicating effectively. Yes, there'll be some that are able to respond to that, but there'll be others that that aren't. And I've always been a believer that it's it's a coach's job to get on the player's wavelength, not the other way around. That's how it's, it's absolutely, I think the first fundamental of great coaching is to understand that you've got a player in front of you who needs to be to be coached in a certain way and I guess the first superpower you need as a coach is actually how what is the best way to coach this player is this a player that's going to respond much more to feel or is this a player that really needs to understand the theory of it so uh, Stephen Brown is an example going back to your previous question he's someone that, that really understanding the 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 theory behind each and every shot is crucial for him yeah, it's absolutely vital for him to to develop a certain set of skills for that week. Whereas other players like Torbjorn, it was very much just a case of right, we'll give him a functional start position and understand how to get the club on the ball, and then he would be able to go away and play. Yeah. So, but Tor, for example, the very best short game work that we we have historically done has been geared around setting him different challenges. Yeah. So basically asking him to show me how good he is. Yeah. Whereas there are other players. Guided discovery uh, within that, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So he's a lot of the time he's coming up with his own answers. Whereas there's, there's other players that that need more of that explicit instruction. No, you must have this start position and apply the club in this manner to be able to get the, the, the desirable speed spin trajectory that you need for this shot. Yeah. Um, But, the skill you need there is well actually how, how do you figure out that's what this guy needs versus what she needs over here yeah because we've got two listeners uh, normally that listen to this podcast players and uh, and coaches so from yeah. a player's point of view you know the player needs to understand I guess how they like to have communication laid out to them some people like to be shown things you know the amount of times that you demonstrate something they get it far easier than explain the theory whereas you get someone yeah. else who wants to theory first before they, they can buy into you how is it how important is that from the player's point of view to understand what what they want yeah well understand what works best for them yeah and ultimately as a coach you've got to be to be really effective you've, you've, got, you've got to be ultra aware of all the different forms of communication that that, that are that are in play at one time of which the majority you won't even be consciously doing as a coach. You won't be consciously aware. But even even as something as simple as well, you're sort of 
waggling the club demonstrating. You may not even be formally demonstrating, but the player will pick up on that. And the amount of times over the last 20 years where I've been working with a player and I've hit a certain shot and they, they've, they've then said, well, do you know you do this? And I'm like, well, yeah, I know I do this. But ultimately that, that in itself is coaching. Yeah, they've, yeah, they've, they've picked up that, that, that me working the club in a certain way is a conscious thing that might actually benefit them. Yeah. And from the coach's standpoint then, you know, we're led to believe the fact that as long as we get as much information as possible, our job is done. Um, but waggling the golf club in a certain way and maybe delivering it in a certain way and the player turning around going, oh, is that either? That's actually coaching. It's not. <laughs> yeah, it's certainly part of coaching and understanding that, that as I said, the, the, it's, it's all the subconscious communication elements that, that they, they do contribute to the picture that you paint for that, for that player. And I think if you, if you were to ask sort of, okay, well, what, what are the differences or some of the difference, differences between expert and non-expert coaches? In my experience, the best, the most expert coaches are the most incredible demonstrators. So if you, if you look at, at Pete Cowan, for example, when Pete demonstrates, he is demonstrating exactly what he would like that player to do. Yeah, He's exceptional at putting the club and his body in the, what he believes to be the appropriate place for that player and then the player being able to pick up on that it's it never ceases to amaze me how many less experienced or less expert coaches that the quality of their demonstration is so crappy and they i don't know is that because they don't understand how important it is that the demonstration is good or is it do they think they're doing a good demonstration or i mean i i, I don't know i don't know if there's an answer to that I mean, from my previous experience, it would be not valuing that as high as knowing information. But I'm speaking yeah. for thousands of people there. But I guess it's individual to everyone. So let's say, I mean, I was definitely in this position uh, a couple of years back and I'm hearing this and going, you know what, I'm not an expert coach yet. How does someone develop their communication demonstration, in your opinion? First of all, you've got to be aware of it that understand that it's not just what comes out of your mouth. Effective communication is not what comes out of the coach's mouth. Effective communication is what is interpreted by the player in front of you. Love that, yeah. Okay, so it's while the coach is trying to communicate in a certain way, or I hope the coach is trying to communicate in a certain way, the quality of that communication experience is only defined by what the pupil has taken, right? So, yeah, okay, I, 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 may, I may have met the, the message I want to give is A, but if the pupil is walking away with B, then that's broken down somehow, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah. I, I think there's a couple of means to, number one, you've got to be aware of the importance of it and not just the, the conscious communication, the subconscious communication. That's number one. Number two, I think you have to have a check and balance system within your lesson to ensure that the pupil is leaving with the information that you think is important to them. So I use my, my whiteboard. That's my, if you like, that's my, my magic training aid that at the end of every lesson, the pupil writes up what he's taken away. And it's astonishing what some of the nonsense they come up with. So well, how on earth have you got that, that from this, this last two hours of your life? How, how is, so, so having that check and balance is really important, but also, I think from a coaching, the coach's perspective, having really 
refined reflection process is fundamental. So do I know my stuff? Yeah, I think so. Well, how good am I at putting that on the, on the ground with the player and having these conversations with yourself after every lesson, after every day of coaching and understanding that, that just giving them knowledge is unlikely to be enough to make them better. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. I mean, you know, not many it's people have read books. Yeah. Not many people have read books and therefore are, are unbelievable after reading yeah. the book, right? Correct. It's part of it for sure. But actually in terms of the, I guess if you look at it in the context of school, university, that every teacher by definition has pretty much got the same grasp of their subject. Yeah. So, so, so why do you respond particularly well to this teacher and not particularly well to another teacher? It has to be how they've communicated the same knowledge of their subject. Yeah, and effectively that can be the difference, right? I mean, um, yeah, is 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 a great example. A friend of mine, and what you said about the whiteboard, it's not people being stupid. It's it's about people not being able to retain information. It's probably a human thing to that extent. And my mate done exactly the same thing, and he wrote down the whiteboard. And I was thinking, how on earth he even come up with that after you yeah. know thirty minutes of, of communicating? It questioned myself, thinking, how on earth have I? <laughs> made him perceive that that's, yeah but you know what that's that's bang on because ultimately that's part of your reflection process and that you, right. you've executed the lesson there's a decent chance that you'll think well actually i've done a decent job there then you ask them to put it up and they're like holy cow how on earth have they got there from from here yeah. um but that but that's effectively challenging you as a coach to go away and figure out how to make that process better exactly it's asking then... you well okay well, what could i do better here yeah, yeah, a million percent. And, and then after, I think it was like a month after the lesson, he, um, he said it was going wrong. And I've, you know, made like a, a good feedback system using the Skillist app on how he can see his own videos, etc. And he looked at the video and he's been doing the wrong thing for the past month because, again, he's misinterpreted something. And yep. I've not said anything there, but there's still communication going on because mm-hmm. <laughs> he's effectively been communicated not necessarily in person but the aftermath in that sense and i think if you look at it from that point of view communications before during and after a lesson oh 100 and the amount, of, the amount of time particularly now where we do a lot of coaching with via remotely like whether it's via text or whether it's via app um and again it's interesting how that challenges you to coach in a different way and the amount yes. of times where I've, hopefully, hopefully not so much recently, but the amount of times over the years where I've sent a text in response to something, and, and as soon as I've sent it, I thought, oh, shit, that's not, I, I know that that's going to raise another question. That's not effective communication. Yeah. Whether it's the terminology I've used or whether even it's, it's, it's as simple as it, it feeling like I've changed direction when I'm actually, all I've done is offer a different take on the same thing. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. The pupil's interpretation of that is that we're going somewhere, that we're going in a fundamentally different direction. God, text messages are so hard as well to gauge, aren't they? Oh, and if I had a, a, a conversation, a text conversation with the, the father of a girl I coach recently, and I said, "Listen, I'm not going to, I'm not going to carry on coaching via text because the opportunity for misinterpretation is is too great." And his response was, well, you're not coaching. 
you're just doing a conversation. <laughs> I was like, well, yeah. Every, every time, every time there is information being shared, whether whether it's it's explicit sharing of of detail or information or facts, or whether it, it's just talking about something, as soon as there's anything being shared, then coaching will happen. Yeah, yeah, and and, and mainly that's they don't know that, but also there's also coaches that don't know they're coaching. Yeah, in that period yeah. of time. If you're if you're talking about that player's golf game, you're coaching. Yeah, and it's it's yeah. almost the stuff that it's that information that 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 creeps in between the cracks. That's that can be the really damaging stuff, but if managed well, that can be the really that can be really high quality stuff. Yeah, I got a really decent tip from Piers Ward from me and my golf, and he was mm. saying about how good voice notes are. He said one, they take less time yep. to actually do. Two, you can't misinterpret it because it's basically a phone call. And three, yeah. you can listen to it anytime you want and also listen to it again. So it's like it's yeah. more personal, takes less time, less interpretation. And it's yeah. basically the same communication that you would do in person without obviously yeah. body language. It's the closest thing you can do without mucking it all up. And yeah. I've personally done it ever since because yeah. for, for them specific reasons. So it's a, it's a good way to get over that barrier, I find. But yeah, just want no, to share. No, that, I like that. A good idea. I like that. Um, okay, so because of all this, because of what we chatted about, um, and you're coming now to, you know, stop going on tour nearly as much, you know, the different life of, you know, the different chapter of your career in that sense. And yep. you've created this coaching platform called CMAS. What is mm-hmm. it? And why have you done it? Uh, so CMAS is uh, Coach Mastery Program. And basically it was, there's a number of factors behind me deciding to do it. Number one, and I, I make no apology for this statement, we're, we're crap at our jobs. Golf coaches are crap. Um, not just in the UK, we're talking globally. They are not particularly good at making players better. Um, so that was the number one factor. So I can either spend the rest of my life complaining about it or I can I can get off my fat ass and do something about it, which is exactly what I've done. That I, I, I firmly believe that the single most important stakeholders in the game of golf are those that coach it for a living. We're responsible for introducing people to the game. We're responsible for creating an engaging, fun, safe social environment. We're responsible for making people better at the game. And thus we're responsible for retaining people in the game. Golf is a very, very hard game to love. It's expensive, yeah. it's time-consuming. As much as we're running around convincing ourselves that we're inclusive, we're not inclusive. Um, and it's bloody difficult. It's still one of the few sports where the very, very best in, in history can look like a complete idiot. Now, <laughs> be, be, because the game is difficult to love, we have to find a way to make it lovable. And I think that's a golf coach's role. At the end of the day, the only thing that we have as a community now as professional golfers or golf professionals is that, that, we're, that we're expert coaches or theoretically should be expert coaches. The, the quality of education is poor and the quality of ongoing development is really poor. So, if you're not particularly well qualified or particularly well skilled when you come out of your qualification and the ongoing education process is poor, how on earth are we going to get better? Yeah. And all I see is in the existing learning environment is people going away 
getting knowledge. And by and large, it's going to be irrelevant knowledge. By and large, it's not knowledge that has any bearing on whether they can coach better tomorrow morning when they're back at the golf club. Generally, it's expensive knowledge. Um, and I still think that a lot of it is driven by this belief that we have to know stuff to be effective as a coach, which just isn't the case. Yeah. We need to understand stuff to be better as a coach. And there's a significant difference. So th this kind of learning in abstract, this theoretical learning that, that exists really bothered me because ultimately I, I, I still struggle to, see, struggle to see how that will make coaches better at their job. But an applied learning process where you are actually learning from your experiences and you're learning in a practical environment will help you get better at what you do, but it will also guide you as to where you need to get better. So that when you do go and educate yourself externally, it's with much more purpose and much more relevance to your job as a coach. And it, I just felt that it was it was time that actually a proper, robust coaching, uh, coach education process was available. And yeah, that's, yeah, that's where CMAS was, was born from. And I think already after one year, we've got a very robust process. Um, the, the the students in the course are assessed 25 times over the course of a year um, via written assignment, via practical coaching, and they are they are delivered feedback from myself and from the academic tutor. So there there is a proper check and balance system through their development. So the development is it's ongoing as you work, rather than having to take time away, go and learn something, and then is that something actually any good? Yes, no, if it is good, how am I going to put it into practice? That's just not real world. It's not it's not making us better. And fundamentally, we've got across the world, 20% of people that come for a golf lesson come back. Yeah, Pretty high just... attrition, right? That's not, not brilliant, that. That doesn't no, that doesn't that doesn't reflect well on how good we are. Um and I think that we're actually probably we're worse at it than we were 50 years ago. Despite all the technology, the information, the science, the knowledge, the data we've got available to us, we're actually worse at coaching the game than we were 50 years ago. And that staggers me. Yeah, because I, I mean, I've, I've, I've got a theory on this and uh, it's, it's a running joke between me and my mates because obviously Scotty won the Masters and, you know, he's slipping all over the place. We're top of the backswing, gets it around and under par more than anyone else. And we send videos of basically odd actions that are very functional and score very well and, and a lot more money than we do. And the quote that we say is we've, we've been lied to because growing up, it was all about if you can have a really good looking golf swing and hit the middle of the face, you'll make it on tour. Right. Yeah. And when we we're 15 or, you know, if the trap man numbers say this, you'll make it on tour. And that's what it was basically all about. So this is the reason why the running joke exists. And as a result, I think, when we then go into our PGA and stuff like that, we go, right, well, as long as we've got all the information and we make people look better or whatever that might be, we've done our job. So I'm seeing more and more people look better that score worse, you know, because the information is probably not that relevant in that sense. Now, growing up, when you start playing the game, you look at what the ball does. And when you get half decent and then cameras come involved in that, you sort of, gravitate towards what it what it looks like rather than where the ball goes 
Yeah, now, now it's time to get proper coaching. <laughs> it's time to get proper coaching. And then as a result, we get all these coaches that are, we'll call them swing perverts because um, that's effectively what they are. Um, but it's a case of actually they're not getting any better at golf. And I feel when, because right. I've, I've done your course and um, for the past year and it's been brilliant. It was the first time someone's really said to me and gone, right, stop. You've got all this information, but you're just regurgitating someone else's info. We've not, no, with not really any depth, no relevance to how the ball gets in the hole because there's X, Y, and Z variables. And there's easier variables to tackle that have more relevance, that are easier to change, that will get their score down and make them happy than changing X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And it was like a light bulb that went off. And not only from your course, it's one of the only places where a coach can actually get <laughs> assessed. And I remember the first time yeah. I did it, I was absolutely bricking it, thinking, can't believe someone's going <laughs> to critique me. But why is that not the case? What, what, why why um, is it taken until now for someone like you to turn around and go, this actually needs to happen? Because people's communication, relevance, et cetera, it doesn't fit the goal of what people are coming in for. I think there's a number of explanations. I'm not sure you could pin it on one thing. Um, I think there's an awful lot of... I think we've lost sight of what we're supposed to do, which is make golfers better. If you and I make golfers better every single time they're stood in front of us, which hopefully we'll do the majority of the time, then they're probably going to come back, right? Yeah. We're doing the right thing for the game. Yeah. We're doing the right thing for the game of golf. We're, we're, I continually refer to growing and bettering the game of golf. That is our number one objective as golf coaches. We have to grow and better the game of golf. Because it is a hard game to love. Um, but I, th- I think the advent of sports science has been misinterpreted. I think that's part of it. And there's always, I mean, the game of golf is full of secrets, if you like. The famously Ben Hogan's secret. We have suddenly a player plays great and they say, well, I found something in the range on Wednesday evening and I've played great for a month since then. And the there is an ego thing from coaches and that they feel that they have to know more than everyone else and they have to be doing a better job than everyone else and how do they do a better job well they make golf swings prettier because it looks better on instagram and joe mayo funnily enough who's, who's a mate of mine joe mayo said some interesting things on, on instagram recently where he said i'm sick of seeing before and afters show me before and after scorecards yeah and the, and the amount of grief he got for that Really? I'm amazed. I mean, ultimately, ultimately, we have one job, which is to make golfers better, right? Now, the sports, the sports science data, any kind of science can help us understand that, but it won't necessarily help us coach it better. So you have this weird setup now where we've got golf coaches running around thinking they're scientists. Now, how is that going to make your players better? Now, if, if, if that helps you understand it, and then that means that you're able to communicate it more effectively because you understand it better, then you've got me interested. But we've got the golf coach scientists, who I'm not sure are helping the game. And then we've got the scientist golf pros, or the scientist golf coaches, who've come from a science background and are applying that to coaching the game of golf. Now, science, by definition, we're dealing with absolutes. We're trying to interpret absolutes. Where golf, we're trying to manage variable. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like try, trying to be consistent to gain a consistent outcome in yeah. a variable environment. Yeah. It and doesn't add up. I'll, no, and, and a lot of the a lot of the coach the coach ego thing I think is is they want to be they want to, to be seen to coaches want to be seen to as I said no more than everyone else and have found out something different some real game changing um, piece of information um, the, the the whole methodology of taking golf instruction or golf coaching or golf lessons is slightly flawed in that by definition that you someone goes and takes a golf lesson and stands in front of a golf coach and the golf coach thinks that it's their job to tell them what they're not good at and the player thinks it's that that's the job as well yeah, yeah, yeah. where you sit you take a funky action and you, all you need to do that to do is look at the best players in the world in the last 100 years they've all got some kind of idiosyncrasy possibly barring Tiger and Faldo, who were very, very orthodox. But there was, basically, they all swing it fundamentally differently. Yeah. Surely your first job as a coach should be to ask yourself why that action works, not why it doesn't work. Yeah. Because if you've got Scotty Scheffler in front of you, who is by definition the best player in the world for the last six months, um, and we know this because no one can beat him, if you look at that action, which is absolutely unorthodox, if you look at that action and you put and you start by, think, by identifying all the things he does wrong, you're going to end up ruining the best player in the world. Yeah, because that what you've just been saying there, um, one of my favorite questions to ask people is, uh, what swing do you like in the top 10? And then people just think about it for a bit and they go, well, none of them. But why? Why do you not like any of the swings? <laughs> in the and that's just absurd. But again, it's, it's part of the whole, the whole coaching, the, the mystery of golf coaching is that by and large, the trendy golf swing at the time is the one that's employed by the best player in the world. Okay, So my generation growing up, Faldo was the golf swing everyone wanted. And then obviously Tiger was the golf swing everyone wanted. Now, over the course of the last 10 years, we've had DJ Brooks, uh, more recently Morikawa and Xander Schofle, all who are Shuck pop place, flexly dressed. Yeah. All of them. And now that's suddenly viewed as the golf swing. Now, I'm pretty sure that if I changed, if I had 100 people come for a golf lesson today and I made, I made them all flex their left wrist more, they'd probably all leave worse. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you need a few things to match that, right? To, to be able to yeah. hit it straight. And the, and the assumption one is, of them is normally strength. <laughs> yeah. And the assumption is that, that these players have built that golf swing. Well, it's just not true. That's their golf swing. That, yeah, that, yeah, that's yeah. the way that they have found to most effectively hit it far and straight. So why are we coaching DJ's golf swing, who's six foot four, just a proper athlete? Why on earth would we be coaching that to a 50-year-old banker whose only exercise is playing golf once a week? Yeah, just the, the lack of critical thinking and the lack of, the lack of any quality reflection and question and questioning from from our community is embarrassing. Which which is why it's so important what you've done. And uh, I'm obviously I've been on it. I'm a massive fan. And uh, fingers crossed, these well, coaches are going to be 
doing a much better job as a result of uh, well, of, of what you've done. I, I figure, I figure selfishly that, that if I, if I can have a bigger impact in golf coaching, that's probably going to have a bigger impact in the game of golf than just coaching players. Yes, yeah, no, it's very true, very true. Fingers crossed. <laughs> so yeah, um, exactly, thank you. <laughs> so we've actually got something coming up ourselves, um, and yep. we've called it short game systems. It's in June. We'll probably Correct. do another day. Uh, later in the year that we haven't quite confirmed yep. yet but um and this is for for golf coaching so we've called it systems now a lot of people would let's say misinterpret that for as a method so what is the difference in a method versus a system and why are we holding a day to educate our versions of our systems well i think that the, the reason we're holding a day with with both of us is that we will both get fundamentally similar results in an entirely different way uh, we're we're trying to showcase that creating your own system and, and your own approach is fundamental to being expert. Because we've never before, CMAS, you and I never talked about your coaching approach or your system. No. Now, a, a, a system effectively means that you have an organized structure to help you identify how to make that player better. Whereas a method is applying the same process to every single player. So having that system means that you're able to identify exactly what that player needs to do to get better, whereas applying a method or a model to them is asking them to do much the same thing as everyone else. The beauty of a, a system is that it gives you flexibility within your model to identify exactly how a player gets better. So use, going back to the start of the conversation, there's actually quite a lot of players out there with good functional techniques but can't chip why can't they chip because they have got no concept of lie and shot management reading understanding you're going to make that player way better through moving moving their practice and their coaching more towards the the shot playing part of it than you would someone who can't hit it there's no point in having a conversation with someone about mental skills if they can't put the club on the ball <laughs> but you have to have a system that, that effectively identifies where each and every player has got the biggest opportunity to improve. And as coaches, that, that's, I think, a really key, that should be a, a central tenant of what we do is our job is to identify what is the single simplest way to get that player better now. No, totally agree. Totally agree. And we'll get to Ete, get players better using the system in that sense of identifying where they are in our minds and yeah. where we can improve possibly because you've got a lot of variables and then the variables within the system will be able to then go, right, this is going to be your low hanging fruit here. Let's focus yeah. on here. Flexibility within their method, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so and you've, is... you've actually made a very good point there that a system, a really effective high functioning system will help the player identify their method. Yeah, it does. Yeah. A million percent. A million percent and that's quite, and it's ultimately very important because <laughs> there's so many influences i mean what, what the, the biggest trouble these days is um maybe instagram or even you know watching tv and, and being influenced on something that's not relevant so having the system and understanding their let's call it method fingers crossed keeps them on a path at the same time well you shouldn't you should, the uh, the outer parameters should be a little closer together yeah. They're not bouncing around quite so much. 
but every everyone has their own way to play the game. And as a coach, it's our job to help each and every player find their best way to play the game. So with coaches' systems, or even if they, you know, some people might be listening to this and go, I, I generally don't have one, I don't know what that is. What's most problems people within their systems that you find? Okay, so having a system, number one, we need to objectify the analysis process as much as possible. So that's finding out what they're good at, what they're not good at. Why are they, what, what, what are the key components for this one player that mean they're not particularly gifted at this part of the game? So the analysis process is much more robust. And I know we've talked about this a lot, that generally an analysis process done properly should probably take a little bit longer than the majority of coaches will devote to that within a golf lesson. Yeah. But remember, you go to a golf lesson to improve. You don't go to a golf lesson to get information thrown at you for an hour. So if your analysis process takes half an hour and you're able to, to identify that one nugget that you want them to go away with and they're going to be able to improve straight away, they're happy. Yeah. You've made them better. Now, you may only have worked on that for 10 or 15 minutes, but having that robust analysis process as part of the system is so key to making sure that you target the correct area. Yeah, the correct area, I think, was the big one for me. Um, mm. And it was like, um, you know, like you said about, like, let's say, like, lie reading, for example, um, where so many people would, let's say, not hit a very good strike, blame techniques of the feedback loop. Effectively, that's also our job to put in the feedback loop to make them understand mm. it was a lie read problem and they haven't adapted to whatever they needed to adapt to. And, but understanding that, if you're aspiring to pure strike every time, it's, that's not possible in the context of short game. Not only that, it doesn't put the ball ultimately on no. its own anywhere near the hole. <laughs> Correct. And, and also, surely the difference between good and bad technique is that great technique has got a variety of different ways to, or different strikes that will get the ball close, whereas great, poor technique is relying on one very specific strike. Yeah. The amount of chip shots I've hit over the course of my career that have been very ordinary strikes, but the ball has done exactly what I want them to. I have way more successful chip shots than the ones that come out absolutely perfectly. Yeah. Yeah, isn't that funny? But it's um, mm. at the same time, it, like you said, you know, when it comes to strike, it doesn't guarantee anything at the same time. So... no. It's like uh, within my, for the people that have come and seen me um, go through a bit of a process to understand proximity. And one of the questions I'll always ask is how many did you strike out of, let's say them 15 shots? More often than not, they'll say 75% or more. And then you look at the proximities and they're nowhere near the hole. Mm. What do they want? They want a lesson on how to achieve better strike using technique. And then you start looking at but low that, hanging fruit. Doesn't isn't, it's correct? The perception of the industry is though that, that that you come to be told something to hit better shots, whereas true golf coaching is about is about helping your players hit it fewer times. So now, whose responsibility that, is that, that then? Do we oh, need to re-educate people on that? Well, I mean, I think coaches need to take responsibility for what they put in front of players. Yeah, but you can't you can't give them crappy information and then not improve and then blame the player. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly right. But I'm bet, how often how often do we see that in the industry? Yeah, annoying. Like, yeah, so I mean, at the end at the end of the day, if, if we're a doctor or a lawyer, we, we, our success we, we stand or fall on the basis of the quality of information we give and whether that has the desired result. Why are we not held held to the same standards? Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, if, if you give them crappy information and they're not getting better, I'm sorry, that's that's your fault. It's yeah. not because the player isn't good enough. Let's say it's playing, you know, an absolute hurley uh, one day, and they're trying to hit a full-on seven iron to their normal yardage and not adapted to the wind. So our fault or their fault? You could say it's ours because we haven't given them the skills or the, or you know the. Let's say yeah, it's probably, process yeah, to it's, understand what to play in the wind, right? Yeah, and you don't know what you don't know. Um, equally, you don't know as the coach whether that's how the player responds in a strong wind. Yeah. So it's, but but again, if 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 we boil if we boil everything down to right, what's the simplest way we can make this better, this player better now? We will become more effective. If that is as simple as giving them a good Y reading lesson or adjusting their start position. The amount of people that come down here, I like to do two-hour lessons or two-hour sessions, and we hit balls for two hours, and all they do is work on their setup because that is the low-hanging fruit. If they stand to the ball more appropriately, they will produce better outcomes. Yeah. Yeah, and effectively, I'll give you another example. Um, someone comes across very, let's say, functional from that standpoint, but can't understand how to match ball speed and reaction to a green, yeah. I'd effectively just train them and go, right, this is what yeah. we're training. We're not teaching, yeah. we're not learning from that point of view, but we're going to train these, let's call it skill acquisitions. Effectively, it's a low-hanging fruit and he's gone away better. Yeah. And I just thought, like, how many people are doing this? It can't be that many. But why? No, there's why not that many. But, um, because, so, because and I knew what he research, came in for, but... if that makes sense. He came in for a technical lesson because he was nowhere near the hole. And I think yep. that's where the perception needs to change, probably, right? But is that not a difference between good and great coaching in the, or expert and non-expert coaching in that part of the expert coach's job is to convince them that what they think they need is not actually what they need? Yeah, right. Exactly. So it's, for, for the and, players that are listening to this, you can maybe this gives you a little bit of an insight of what obviously we do, but a little bit of self that analyzing from from their behalf on maybe yeah. what they need to come to the lesson for and and ultimately if they're not any good at that then the part of the coach's job is to help them understand how to analyze and reflect better themselves yeah couldn't agree more That's couldn't simple. agree more now it was a good conversation that really good conversation i think yep. a lot of people yep. will benefit from that so um no, doing, doing some amazing stuff um so i'm conscious of time um probably almost an hour in now so we'll finish off with what I ask every guest on here is uh, what is your biggest myth in short game? Um, deceleration. Go on, explain. I love this conversation. Um, single biggest thing I hear from every single player who misses, hits a chip shot is they decelerated. Uh, unfortunately, it's also the, big, the single biggest um, miscoached element of short game is that because the player thinks they've decelerated, they then get coached to accelerate. Every crappy chip, chippy action I've ever seen is over-accelerated. I couldn't tell you the last time I actually had to get someone to accelerate. Aside from anything else, gravity is going to help you with that. So you've yeah. got to fight gravity to, to stop it accelerating anyway. 
Um, and I think that the misunderstanding is that any chipping action that the through swing is shorter than the backswing is decelerated. Where actually any chipping action where the through swing is shorter than the backswing is generally accelerated powerfully. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and when people, let's say, hit the ground and chunk it, yep. for example, mm-hmm. the clubs, sorry, the club spin stopped by the ground. Mm-hmm. They relay that back to themselves as I've decelerated. Correct. If you've hit a wall of a golf club, the club's going to stop, right? It's, it's going to decelerate at some point. Yeah. <laughs> and this is I, gar- I guarantee if you if you if you pulled the hundred players around the chipping green today, ninety percent of them would say that I've decelerated and all the bad shots. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And um, I think Shane Larry's action. Um, always comes to mind because it's round the back of his head and he finishes just outside his left foot. Yeah. And we all say how good he is, which he is. Yeah. Yeah, he is. He's exceptional. It's uh, it's not accelerated from that point of view. <laughs> well, as yeah. in like, you know, well, from, from, from the industry's point of view, it's, hold on a second, for, he's accelerated, but he's unbelievable. For coaches and players, the do not mistake length of swing on both sides of your body with acceleration and deceleration are not the same thing love that Hugh thank you so much for your time I really appreciate that and no pleasure nice to see you Alex thank you a massive thank you to Hugh Marr for being on this podcast and taking some time out of his day to share some wisdom and it's just a very different outlook on the golfing game compared to especially when I was growing up and what I was told by so many people and when you but it also makes complete sense so i think if as a golfing community if we could take some responsibility and analyze uh where performance can be improved rather than just in one place because there's many variables for the reason of why uh performance can be improved and i think if we take a, a, a better outlook on it maybe have a little bit of a better feedback system on it um we can do better as players as well as in coaches and therefore make this game um, a little bit easier to play um, it's a very stupid game but we all love it all at the same time if you want to hear more from Hugh you can find him on Humar Coaching uh, he's got an Instagram account as well as a website that you can contact him on um, if you want to share this podcast more than welcome to tag me and I'll share it at Alex Butner Golf if you're listening on iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast on, just make sure you hit subscribe so then you can keep up to date and alert for the next podcast. Thank you for Max Gold Protein for sponsoring this podcast and look forward to hosting the next Brilliant Mind.